Welcome to Risk Sleep Repeat, a podcast that features influential guest speakers from the world of fire, health and safety. We're going to focus on trust-based safety, owning and embracing risk and the importance of people over paperwork. Hosted by me, Adam Clark, Managing Director and Mike Stevens, CEO of Praxis 42. If you're a fire, health and safety professional, join us for inspirational conversations about the future of our industry. In this episode, I spoke to Crystal Danbury. Crystal is a chartered member of IOSH with 20 years experience across high-risk industry, including nuclear, rail, transport, and telecoms. We discussed our thoughts on the future of our industry, taking a more human approach, and the importance of a work-life balance. So we've got quite a high-level agenda here around what, what do we see as the vision for the industry, and that's, that's all around people and, and making sure that people can can get home now obviously in people isn't the only thing in in industry we've got to worry about you know resources and outcome and and survival but having quite a really strong vision there that's that's at really top level I'm, I'm really interested then into how do we drill that down into into the strategy and but more importantly how does that translate into into day-to-day brilliant culture around health and safety yeah amazing really great question i would say if you are clear on your purpose which is people driven which means if you're people driven you're naturally harm driven right because you're thinking what is what you know how are my guys affected it changes your questions it changes your questions to your team. And you, if you talk to anybody in any of my teams, they will say to you, I don't tend to say, what's the fatality weighted index at the moment? You know, <laughs> you I don't, don't tend to ask, right, no, right? <laughs> I don't tend to ask any question that really has a number in it. I say, how many people did we hurt last year and how many people did we hurt this year? And then my my follow-up question is always, how did we hurt them? Where were they hurt? So for people who haven't experienced that, crystal line of questioning in the mm. past what's their first initial reaction to those that way of framing it i think so really interesting because i'm asking about people you still have to go back and look at your system you still have to go back and say we've hurt 15 people this year crystal i'm asking about data but with a human feel and people find that really confusing to say i feel like we're being really data driven crystal because you're asking me lots of questions about how many people we have hurt or how we are hurting people but out the way we are talking about those numbers is very different. So I think lots of people take a moment to settle into the sort of hybrid approach, which is I still definitely want to know who we're hurting, but I want to know how often does that happen? You know, we're we're breaking ankles, let's say. How do you? If, so if I said to you, Adam, we had fifteen accidents last year, but we had seventeen the year before. How do you feel about that? Oh, well, we're we're clearly trending in the right direction, aren't we? Right. Everything's going well. A- any emotion in there or just? Oh, well, I mean, I don't know because I'm, I'm not sure about John Smith or, or Joe Bloggs, you know. Um, I suppose it depends on me if you, if you said to me, well, we had 15 this year, but oh, by the way, um, you know, Jane over there um, no longer has a leg. That suddenly changes your, your thoughts on it. I mean, or perhaps if you represented your statistics with a picture of all the people who got hurt, that would you know, even the, the most hardened person would hopefully take some... Uh, empathy from that exactly and that that's the whole thing is you're creating empathy we naturally have to look at numbers it's the dry part of the job but it's really interesting now if i said to you we hurt 15 people 12 of those were major and they typically all happened on this site doing this activity 
my instant reaction inside is concern. I am humanly concerned about that site, those people there. And I quite naturally actually also want to go see it. If I say to you, we've had 17, it's gone to 15, we're hoping for 14 this year. Everyone's like, well, this feels positive. It doesn't allow you to get concerned for the individual. Therefore, it doesn't really allow you to think outside the box. Just you look at a downward trend and say, yay. And, you know, if you're ever looking for a solution or a way to awaken a business to a problem, you don't ever land on the first solution, but you start with a really good brainstorm and you start with the nugget, which is how do we get people into the center of our message? And so you just get a, a, a paper from me like you would any other safety professional. But my language tends to be slightly different. So rather than just give you a couple of bar graphs to say things are going down and then a little asterisk underneath to say X proportion happened at a particular site, I will say we hurt this many people. And have you, have you found that that at the top level then generates more conversation? It's, it's always difficult, isn't it? I don't know what the conversation was before I got into the room, naturally, but I, I find really good conversation. People can feel instantly defensive when you talk about that, but that's really good. It's a human response rather than, did everyone do the pre-read for the safety paper? Everyone nods and you say, right, we'll move on, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's always always great when health and safety is just above AOB on the agenda and yes. you know when, when time overruns, oh, should we just cut it till next week? Oh, yeah. And I think that's the bit that's slightly different, whereas if you get, even let's say you get a pre-read and it says we hurt X amount of people on this site, typically the person that owns that site in the room will feel compelled to say, even if, and forget, you have to start with where you are culture-wise, you you know where you're going, we're going to go that everybody on that board cares about everybody getting home, and I think they do, we are all human, but I think some people just need reminding yeah. And when, when presenting that, though, I'm really interested in the, you know, we talk about blame culture. Mm. When you're presenting that and it's a site and you've got that, that person who's responsible in that room, do they then instantly feel uncomfortable and, and having to go into defensive mode? Or is it going the other way? And it's like, well, OK, this is this has happened. I want to own this now. Yeah. So I think very naturally what you tend to get is defensiveness. But I think that's where I tend to glean that this is the first time we've had real conversations about uh, human conversations about safety is everybody gets really really reactive and everyone gets really defensive and typically the question that would come back from me not here but before would be what are you doing about it then it's your job crystal what are you doing about it and actually my my response pretty much always is if, if i found a problem i'm not going to go in and blindside anybody so they get a kick in from a director afterwards i'll say i'm working with your team to understand how we can take care of people better and working with your team to discover how we can change that process. That to me embodies how do we how do we actually allow change to happen. It's mm. just taking the the blame out of the way and it's a you know we and exactly that working together we're collaborating I want to observe using all these really positive words that you're not in your own here I'm here to enable this and you know from, from my point of view Crystal, I spent a lot of time trying to work with um, with people to say it's not it's not the health and safety team's job to write everything for you and do everything for you. They're there to support and enable. They're not there just to oh right yeah it's that time again. You know, twelve months have surpassed. Can you just go and review my risk assessments and then just put them back in the folder again? Mm. You know, it's breaking that cycle. 
Yep. Well, I mean, how how amazing would it be if we make if we made risk assessments useful? Oh, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Did you did you risk assessments useful? How amazing would it be if it was a how are we going to progress from this year to next year? How are we going to improve our site? How amazing would that be if they didn't go in a drawer or got stuck on a share drive and get pulled out if we need to go to court? <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing? And, and can we can we start off writing a risk assessment with a team of people and maybe a whiteboard and just just talking about what? So what is it that we're actually going to do in this activity? You know, what are the things that if we don't do it right is going to you know have an immediate impact in ow that really hurt or mm-hmm. you know in, in a few years time oh this is starting to hurt. So I, um, when I was at OpenReach, I introduced something called a Hasdash. So we, you have massive packs to put up poles and do really big pieces of work, right? And naturally embedded in, the, I don't know, a hundred pages is a risk assessment. Like, yay, right? That nobody ever reads because whoever's doing that job has done it 50 times before, a million times before. And it's just in there really to cover the tale of the organization. Let's be really honest. And I said, forget it. The risk assessment is supposed to alert the person to the hazards they're going to interact with. And then we're supposed to say that hazard could cause you harm. It's, you know, if but if you use, I don't know, gloves, if you use this jack, you will mitigate that risk of harm. That's what it's meant to do. And I just said, well, let's just be really real. Let's just create a front sheet that just has big fat symbols that says of the things that are going to hurt you. Typically, it's working in water. It's the pole itself, if you have to manually jack it. Like we know electric, we know these things. It doesn't take an awful lot to create a symbol for all of them so that when that guy picks up, he says, oh, didn't know this job was going to be working in water. And then there you have it. You Just simplify it because I am not reading 50 pages. And if you've designed a document for me and I'm operational and I have a KPI to hit every day. You're just not going to have the time, no. no. Right. And that's that, that, again, is for me, is it's, it's thinking about what is going to be the most effective way of doing that, bearing in mind people have a limited amount of time, and if you're only going to get across to them the most important message that they need to know, that's what you need to, that's what you need to focus on. And you know, obviously there are different levels of people. Uh, you know, you ca- doesn't mean that really competent people can't, can't make mistakes but they're more likely to experience that what we need to make sure and i think my view is that we've got better over time with those newer people coming into the organization that that health and safety is actually being embedded from from day one we've moved moved away from the um oh look there's the apprentice let's go and make him ask for a long wait somewhere it's about actually you need to be you need to be understanding of health and safety from from day one and actually you know looking at new people coming into the construction industry when they're at college you know health and safety now is actually a a key part of the module now how effective it's delivered is is another thing but uh, you know people are very aware aware of it yeah. So one of the the things I was going to say is, as well as that Hasdash thing, we were talking about hazards that if you write your risk assessment in an office and not with people that are doing the task, you miss the nuances of the job. You get the practical and the logical, but you miss the nuance. And so what I introduced at OpenReach was getting loads of people that have had a particular type of accident in a room with the statistic and said, you tell me what I, like, I think I know what that says. But you tell me what the reality is, like what's happened in your day job. And we got a couple of examples of the near miss investigations and stuff and said, what does this actually look like on a day to day? Give us what this guy's day would have looked like. And again, in an environment of moving that blame culture away, I assume you've had quite a good 
response back from that session? So we introduced something that was so incredible as a result of this. So we had a guy, I'll give you an example, who said there are his hidden hazards. So you can't just, you know, tell us just to mind your feet. We walk through fields. There are sinkholes. There are things that we can't we can't flag to anybody else and we can't see as we're walking. We just we there sometimes we're just gonna trip over. But there are places where you know, for example, there was a junkyard, there was a pole in, and there was always debris around the bottom of the junkyard, but there's one piece of debris that was fixed and lo and behold, loads of people tripped on it. And we were like, what? Well, so guys, come on, how do we how do we get around this? What can we do? And we ended up brainstorming in the room with all these engineers. I went away with the problem, so not the solution, with the problem. How do we tell the next engineer coming that that thing is there? Yeah. And and another exploration thing, I looked at the technology progressing around me and I looked at what three words. Didn't know why I was linking the two together. Just phoned one of the guys off link, um, LinkedIn, contacted me about what three words. And I was like, all right, we'll have a chat. I'll talk you through some of the things we're challenging. And he said, well, what happens if we can geotag your hazards and let the next engineer know that he's approaching a geotagged hazard? That sounds pretty awesome. And I was like, well, that sounds incredible. Did you Did you do it? Yeah, we did it. So how did that how did that work practically then? Um, <laughs> like they have the app, they have the app on their phone, and it uh, it pings them. They, so I actually, as the last point of imp- uh, implementation, I had left to come here, but it's gone massive. And what I will do is I will get some of it. You can actually find they did a, they did a um, an article on LinkedIn. So if you put open reach um, geotagging hazards, they've got an article on how it works. But I left the room with a problem, not a solution. And I spoke to somebody that was owning a new piece of technology without knowing how it could help me, or even if it could, and naturally brought those two things together. And it's amazing. So for, for me, Crystal, listening to you say that back, how, you know, I'm, I'm thinking how many other health and safety professionals, one would have started that approach, but two, wanted to actually help, you know, f- really deliver that um, because I, you know I'm, I'm thinking of the word curiosity it's your curiosity of oh, I've got this there's this thing that's being described and now it's like me with IT I'm determined not to let it beat me you know I really <laughs> want to get a result on that is that is that how you describe your your view yeah I, I just so I, I'll say something that I, I don't not everybody will agree with I think zero harm is is false and it's mythical because for as long as you have distracted minds, people going through heartbreak, weather, you're always going to have somebody that may slip or trip over, right? So I think my role is naturally, how can we take out as much harm as we can, right? Um, and bearing in mind, we're dealing with humans. And it's it's definitely within my mind, this trend, it, do you know what bugs me more than anything? It's the trend that everyone ignores. That trend that we just say, ah, oh, you know, slips and trips are just a way of life. And I'm like, yeah, but not all of them, some of them, weather, like I said, a, a distraction stuff, but not all of them. So if, if zero harm's not possible, what do we label it as? Or do we need to label it? Well, I think this is the thing. I think we get obsessed with the label and the safety one, safety two and zero harm. And I think the profession should be aiming to be seen as a care profession. You can go to a GP, you can go to a doctor, you can go to a pharmacist, you can have a health professional in your organisation that looks after the care of your people. I would say we are aiming for a world or we should be aiming for a world where we've taken every conscious step to mitigate unnecessary harm, harm that we can help prevent. And so we're, I think we're really focused on 
the kind of the physical physical health mm. you know the things that we can we can look and see and again when we when i think of you know my, my time working in construction you know it's the the site manager focusing on the ppe and oh if i can see you wearing a hard hat it's okay but the fact that your mobile tower has been terribly erected is um, you know it's not to worry not to worry about so we we focus on that and, and 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 to me that's because of the immediate harm that comes from the the safety based issues but the health side of it in terms of checking like you say checking in with people because when we start an organization you go through that induction process obviously you'd expect health and safety to be a real important part because we don't, you know, until you until you start on day one, we need to understand some more things about you so that, you know, we can do a risk assessment that's tailored to you specifically. And I think at times that bit gets gets missed. We we have a risk assessment for an activity, but it's well, hang on, hang on a minute. We've got a person here. What do we need to know about that person, and how can we support them? Both from well, okay, it might be something physical, but what about where where where's their actual starting point for their well being? Now that's a it's a hard kind of question to to ask is well right you're coming in on day one tell me about where where's your head at i think this is and i've said this so many times i think well-being is the evolution of the safety profession we've always looked after health and safety and for me it's always been physical and mental health and and physical and mental safety so they for me are all the same thing and they equate to well-being we're just starting to really talk about exactly as you say health impact and we're starting to really address mental health impact I think the only thing you really can do is make sure that when you are, let's just say doing a generic risk assessment, right? You could be, for me, this is the whole thing about asking how how can this operation affect this individual? If you put yourself in the rail industry and you say you could be a station worker, there is a really remote chance that a poor station worker could witness a suicide, mm-hmm. right? And I talk about that with the experience because my I worked in the rail industry. My brother was a sparky on the, in rail and he witnessed a suicide, bless him, and so did the booking office clerk. And in the risk assessment for that station, we exactly did, as you say, we looked at the physical, the ramp, and we looked at the working at height and we looked at all the things, the, the moving vehicles. But we know people commit suicide on rail. We know that that's what people do. But yet, even early days, we were failing to say, oh, how are people affected by this? And can we embed this into a risk assessment? Because this is this happens. So I, I think it's an evolution. Hoping you're, you're, you know, he's okay following that incident. Mm-hmm. But how did you, you know, that sibling relationship? How how did you have those conversations? Uh, were you able to try and really understand how did that how did that impact on on him? And then you know, presumably that's something that's not going to disappear. That stays with you for for quite some time. Yeah, I think it, it's really interesting that I I have a very similar reaction to whether you work on the station you related to me, or I always thought I did, or you're not related to me. I care immensely. If you've been through something, if I walk into a station, a supermarket anywhere, and I can see somebody that's not right, mm-hmm. I can't walk past them to my meeting. I I have to stop, and I have to say, you don't seem right. Are you? You know, what's going on with you? Bad day however it is and you start the conversation and and that that for me is one of the real important factors about health and safety professionals is mm. it's about having a higher level of emotional intelligence um because I, I think you i don't know if, I, I feel like i develop a sixth sense at time where i just you're just looking at someone and you're like oh, okay something doesn't seem right and what i found in times where you you know when you try and have an open open door policy if come and talk to us when you've got a problem yeah that's great but it still doesn't seem to generate the spark that people need. And for me, it's it's flipping it the other way. It's about asking questions. Are you okay? Yeah. Or how are you today? Something very small that you know, you ask that question and then you just shut up. And, and 
if you think that they're not going to answer it, you just shut up for longer. And eventually someone then spills what what's actually going on with me today. Absolutely. I think I, I think that's one of the, the soft skills that we miss quite often is that just that listening piece in that room talking about trip hazards. I had to just listen. I, I didn't know anything about being out in the field and tripping over stuff. When I spoke to what three words, I didn't know what the solution was. I had to just listen. I think you have to be highly... I think if you're going to really change culture, and that's what mm-hmm. this is about, right? Yeah. You have to be so open to not knowing the answer and also understanding that somebody else probably does or a fraction of that answer that you can help pull together. You have to just be so open to be to just to just sit back and listen, like you say, or ask the question, how is that for you? How is that day job? How does that, you know, I, I often ask, what's, what's, what's the worst day? If someone's having a rough day, you know, and they don't want to talk about it, I'll talk around the edge and then just say, and actually just address it, just say, you don't look comfortable and I'm here and I can write it down or not write it down, but I'm right here. And I, and I find, you know, it's great that you've developed those skills. Um, I'm going to say, you know, to be comfortable and able to have that conversation. And, you know, I've I've discussed with people over you know, over the last 18 months where we've got, we've had people working from home. You've got the people that where, when you see them on a day-to-day basis, you've kind of got that baseline and knowing where they are. But when you're actually not in front of them or you're not routinely checking in with them, it's it's, it's a little bit more difficult to yeah. to manage that. And and also it comes then down to, you know, each individual manager, you may have some, some managers with really good skills around, you know, around people and they're, you know, they're prepared to check in and ask those questions. You've got some in the middle who, you know, they know it's really important, but perhaps don't know how to start those, start those. And then you've got mm-hmm. the, the people on the other side who just don't necessarily get the softer side of it, which can give you a real disparity across an organization of how people are, how people are managed and if I think back to my when I was doing my health and safety qualifications way back when I can't really think many of those softer skills really being underpinned in what made up or what makes up a safety professional um how do we you know how do we go about you know, kind of adjusting that oh wow I think I think this is where you you can see lots of different so there's typically sort of IOSH so way back when we were doing safety qualifications IOSH was kind of the main thing right yeah, but now you've got WRSM, if that's the right acronym. You've got yeah. <laughs> all these other types of safety communities popping up, and I think, I think it's sort of organically writing its own balance. And I, I could, I think some of the safe, typical traditional safety organisations are feeling the challenge to say it's not enough just to say, you know, we can train you to a risk assessment and you can preach the law verbatim you have to be able to care and have a conversation too. So I, I think it, it is changing. Things like the NCRQ. Um, oh, love it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I, I did diploma, closed book, back in the day when you had to drill it and recite it and stand oh, by your and, bed. and memorise, what, 60 bits of different <laughs> case law? Oh, jeez. You know? I mean, yeah. my memory's terrible. Although although every now, every now and again, one of them just pops in there. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, absolutely. And then I mentor somebody called Lee. Hey, Lee, if you're listening. And he is going through the NCRQ. It's just such a really good way of learning when you want to have a conversation about a topic rather than just drill the book. And it, I think qualifications like that that are saying, go out and research it. Go out and take this topic. And what would you do? It's better. 
Oh, absolutely. And uh, and funny enough, most of my team who who are going through their qualifications, I, I don't want to make the decision for them, but I'm very much steering them towards NCR NCRQ because it's just more practical. You know, um, yeah. uh, think about the you know the diploma that I did and and a lot of the things in the test. It's like, well, I've got Google these days. That's what it's there for. I'm not expected to be able to recite all of these, but I know where to look when I need it. You're going to have a challenge. Something's going to come up, and you're not going to have the answer. And even even with Google, you know, if, if someone hasn't done it before, you know, you've got to work out the how you're going to do that and how you're going to enable people to you know undertake an, an activity that may not have been done before and you know it's that collaborative approach again of well, okay bring your safety knowledge start thinking about hazards but if you want to, to change hearts and minds on this you need to be talking about people who you know who have used these these bits and pieces in the past and bring that knowledge into the into the forefront to actually get the result that you that you need oh do you know what you you've just led me to such an epiphany about we're talking about the profession about not needing to know all the answers and it, when I did Nibosh the feeling I got having to know this all verbatim was I needed to know the answer in the room mm-hmm. always whereas NCRQ and other qualifications like that are where can I get the answer who can I learn from I yeah. think it's steering towards the this the next evolution of safety professional we don't need to know all the answers we can go and ask somebody and we can be comfortable not necessarily knowing the answer off the top of our head and actually it's that it's that point i mean like when i used to deliver training sessions week in week out you know people would every now and again chuck a question in into me whilst i was there and i'm like do you know what i really don't know yeah you know no one's asked it in that way before or um you know i'm i'm not a walking encyclopedia of of everything to do with safety um you know i can give you i can give you a view on it right now but if you want something a little bit more in depth let me take it away I think you you were talking about mental health and one of the things that was going through my head there about people with the sort of the skills to ask a question, some people that don't. I, I want to just say out loud here, I don't know a single person genuinely uh, hasn't had their mental health affected by the pandemic. And so I think that's one of the, you know, we're all looking around saying, are they all right? Was it was it just me? Are they all right? Is, it, is that just me? Everybody had a time where they just felt like they were in prison <laughs> and they couldn't get out. And I think the more we are just open with, you know, I, I actually had somebody come on a call with me the other day and said, how did you, how did you find the pandemic and how are you recovering from the pandemic? And I was like, oh, what a lovely question. So actually, I think I'm, I think I'm all right, actually. Um, and I said it wasn't, absolutely wasn't. I was like halfway through the pandemic trying to remap all the processes of open reach mm-hmm. with open reach and single parent and homeschooling and I just moved away from all my family and we were alone. It was horrendous. And then she was like, oh, you were honest. Okay, yeah. well, I found it rubbish too. <laughs> and it was human. And oh, and that's and that's it. It's just being again going back to your your starters. It's vulnerability. There's nothing. There is nothing wrong with being able to put vulnerability out there because you know that that conversation. You you know you think oh no, it's just me, but no, yeah. the common thread runs through you know everybody. There's a, there's a concept that I really I really found really helped me last last year. Someone threw the term equal dignity at me because I find that I'm very good at trying to help other people and do anything for other people, but I find at times. I don't do the same for myself. And that was kind of my epiphany moment of, well, actually, no, I'm as vulnerable as anybody else can be. So if I would help somebody else, if I need help, I need to ask for it. 
you know it's really important that we all that we all do that because you know at the end of the day you know the best leaders the best managers who are checking checking in if you're if people are actively hiding what's what's going on you know it's you know change and uh and, and being able to you know really help difficult um so you know being being able for for us as working in the safety industry to have that skill set um, and to really kind of promote that throughout you know throughout our organizations there's an awful lot of giving yourself permission in this i think and i, I mentioned it on a another podcast and i got contacted by so many parents i had to ask myself a question bang in the middle of the pandemic what i would what i would want my guys to do in this position and it was emily was bawling her eyes out on a morning she just said mommy i'm so lonely and I'd worked, I don't know, 18-hour days. I was working my tail off. And I was yeah. I was on my knees. And I had this massive union call. And all these unions wanted to hold me over the coals to say, how, you know, are you doing the best for our people? And I knew the call was important, but I knew my baby was important. But also, so was I. And I thought to myself, right, what would I, if this was Hayley, my Hayley and my team, what would I want her to do? And I was like, I would want her to get on the call with her baby in her arms. Okay, cool. That's what I'm going to do. And I went on this call and everybody looked shell-shocked. There was a child <laughs> in my arms. I was rocking them. And I just said, listen, I'm going to open this call by saying this. My name is Crystal Danbury and I am your director of safety, but I'm also a mum. And this little girl right now needs her mum so much, but you also need me. And I can do both. Being a mum doesn't stop me being an incredible professional. I can do both. I am comfortable and I'm going to proceed the meeting like this. It took everybody about five minutes to deal with the, the, the absolute raw vulnerability in the room. Absolutely love it, love it, and and isn't it interesting how we've moved from just pre-pandemic when um, the guy on the news had his has his daughter run in and um, you see mm. someone scurrying him away and we're like, oh, that's a bit embarrassing. Dragging them across the floor, to, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to now, I mean, it's so we, we you know in some ways we've normalised that you know someone opening the door and, 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 inter, and interrupting or or, yeah. or being there because mm. um, you know it frustrates me at times that you think how many parents are out there regardless of a pandemic. You know how is it that we have not shaped work around being parents and it's the other way around it's that oh my god what you you, you've got to go and do the school run twice a day well that doesn't that doesn't fit with with work because because we must you must be available for a 2 30 to 3 30 meeting or a or a nine o'clock to 9 30 meeting because it can't wait can it yeah absolutely and so how did your i mean i suppose if it was on a zoom or a team's call you just suddenly have a lot of uh, mouths open of did she really just say that yep Uh, So do you know what? Five minutes of everyone looking at her, looking at me, looking at her, looking at me. And I rock. She didn't say a word the whole time. Right. Just rock. Did the mum rock. You've all seen it. Right. Did the mum rock. Um, She was four or five. And uh, we did the entire meeting. Smashed the meeting out. And at the end, by the time five minutes in, nobody even remembered that she was sat there. And um, at the very end, they closed the meeting. And it was a woman. I think the only other woman on the call. And she said... And I want to really thank you for coming on and doing all of that with that baby in your arms. And I just said, you're more than welcome. And that was the only acknowledgement after I'd done my opener and said, I don't, you know, I'm not addressed. This is me. This is my whole self. And they, they closed the meeting by just saying, you know, thank you for being present. Thank you for being here. And, you know, we think it's amazing. You know, I, th- I think we've got that that challenge for our industry of, of helping support organisations, you know, going forward, balance life you know, and, and work pressure. Um, you know, it's not it's not difficult. We're obviously looking at um, you know, we want to use the term hybrid, agile, and and for me now, the the employers that are really at the forefront will retain more staff. They will actually attract 
more talent by yes. by being flexible. I literally wrote down as she was just before you said that the best flexible organizations will get the best talent. I totally agree. I actually had a conversation with my boss here before I came and I said I've got concerns about the fact that I'm a mum and do do you really understand what that means? And he put in a call just to discuss being a mum. And I did the whole thing. I did the school run and I did, you know, but if they mm-hmm. isolate or they close schools, like it's just me. I'm I'm not just a parent. I'm a single parent and that's different. And he held this call with me and he put down the phone and he phoned me the next day. Do you know what to say to me? I just want to tell you, I heard you, right? Everything you said, I haven't got any retort to you. I just want to say I heard you and whatever you need to be happy and comfortable, we will do that, Crystal. We will work around it. We will make it happen. And from that moment, I was in. I was absolutely in because the ones that can see that it's humans that build your organisations and that you can be flexible. I mean, let's, let's just, I mean, I, I genuinely remember my first my first job uh, was at half eight start. And, and if I was more than a minute late, I'd get picked up on it. But the fact that I, I stayed at to seven, eight o'clock at times when it was when it was needed, you know, it was a, where was where was that? Where was the, yeah. the oh, oh, actually, yeah, thanks. Recognise that. But no, back to next day, you're, you're five minutes late. Clearly, well-being is is going to be the thing that we're you know we, the pandemic, if nothing else, has really heightened, and the challenge like like coming back to it, and we're not we're not out of the woods yet. Is you know how do we deal with what's happened, and there will be as you said, how are people recovering from that, and how do we champion that to to really nail it going forward? What will be on the well-being agenda? What what do you think in your experience that we really need to nail? I think the first and foremost, the thing we need to nail is communication. And that's not just communicating that that we care about well-being and your well-being, but I mean a way for people to tell us that they're not okay, a way for us to identify people are not okay, somewhere for them to go if they're not okay. And we all have like EAP systems and things like that. But you know, talk to anyone in your organisation. Do they know where it is? Do they know how or to where find the number it? is or what it even yeah. does? No, no, exactly. And actually, do you know what I really like? People who've had the coloured coloured lanyards coming back into the office have you seen that with the red red um, yes. amber, amber green of and if i'm wearing red you know what i'm just not feeling comfortable so i don't i don't want to say anything about it but i just want you to see that you know give me my space you know that to me was just a, so simple but so effective yeah i loved it and i think that's the whole communication could be in so many different different ways and we forget about the visual and all that sort of stuff and you know However, we can make it easy for people to say I am or I'm not okay, and whether it is in a handshake or whether it's in your head, you know, we need to again. It would be for me. It would be sitting in a room with all those people and just saying, "How could we?" You know, I don't know the solution yet, but I know the problem is some people don't feel comfortable to say that they're not comfortable. Um, how do we make that easy? How do we create something that's discreet and respectful? Exactly, and and I think when we you know when we label the term sick, we always use sick sickness based statistics. You know, for me, it's like, well, how can we how can we have the concept of I need a mental health day. I'm not sick, but I can tell you right now when I woke up this morning, something's not right. And actually, I'm going to waste my energies sat in front of a screen for the next hour, eight hours. I might just need to go out, go off, go for a walk, have some quiet time, read a book. And you know what? I'll come back tomorrow and I will feel a lot better. But but unless you enable me to do that, I'm going to come in because, you know, that could be to my detriment. I might not have, you know, I might not get paid paid sick. And, and so let's just compound the problem further. I think the the mental health day is I think is so interesting and I still don't know how I would deal with if my one of my guys just phoned up and said I know I've got all this really important stuff today Crystal but I just can't 
and you're like, oh God, because naturally the other impact is somebody else has to pick up the fire. Yeah. So for me, it's like, how do we create space to catch you before you've fallen over? It makes me think of, no one ever talks about, let's do a well-being audit. You know, we would talk about, you know, an audit on what's what's going on a safety point of view, but how do we, you know, how do we actually check in to see where, where is where is the base level? You know, where are people at within the organisation? Because we, especially, we know what's happened we know where people have been at times. We know when they were at their at their probably their heightened, but and that starts to naturally run off. But are we really aware of of where people are? You know, people roll their eyes at company surveys, and that's because we just reissue the same questions year on year, and they get dry. I think if you have a really big, decent company survey with with properly targeted questions about how you're feeling, your people will tell you, um, and. It's just then about your appetite to take that and learn from it again. Don't know that we, we know the problem. We don't know the solution yet, but let's let's try and figure it out. Let's pull people in. That's to me is how you frame it because you're you're spot on. It's like one you have to send out the survey really, um, really well thought about. But it's about how do you frame it? It's say look, we we want to be you know from leadership point of view, we want to be better. We don't know what that looks like, but what we do know is there's lots of you out there. And we want your knowledge and we want your ideas. Um, we don't know how long it's going to take, but we want to do something about it. And, and people being, you know, being able to put the past in the past, leave it where it is. You know, we, haven't, we might not have got it right leading up to where we are now, but we want to do something going forward. Crystal, why would you encourage someone to work in health and safety in, in our industry? Well, I, I genuinely think it's the best job in the world. So if I was in the pub and you said to me, why should I work in your profession? I would say to you, because I get to see every single facet of an organisation. I get to see every single role, every single risk, every single control. I get to see all the planning, all the betterment. And I get to care about every single part equipment and person within that organization most parts of an organization have a part that they look after and care for i get to care for the lot and who gets that oh absolutely and i i love that word care you know it's, yeah. and, and again it, I, I just keep thinking back to what i said at the beginning in terms of the introduction putting the heart back into health and mm. safety that is just so powerful i just oh it, that's what it, it is a, it is a care profession and we forgot and i just think yeah it, i get to care for for every single person and also I get to care about a whole team that care about them too so it's magic I think the profession is magic and um, you know I've been there in the pub when people are asking what you what you mm. do and um, you know you have that that initial awkward moment where people are like oh but then you say well hold on a minute when but when things go wrong when things go wrong you're they want you they really want you. So, well, can we not be in a place where actually things just don't go wrong because of what we do? Absolutely. Well, do you know what I respond with? I respond with, I'm in charge of getting 200,000 people home. Actually, that, that, that sounds like a much better, much better job title, Crystal. Maybe we should, maybe we should just all change that. That should be, that should be on our LinkedIn profiles. It's that actually, this is, this is the reality of what we're, what we're responsible for. Um, it just really, you know, really flips it in the other way. And, you know, we, we're focusing on people because at the end of the day, you know, they're the lifeblood of our organization and that's what we need to do. So that's it for today. Um, thank you so much, uh, Crystal, for spending your time with us um, and look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Risk Sleep Repeat. If you'd like to appear on the show, 
If there's a topic you'd like to discuss, or if you want to let us know your thoughts, please do so using the hashtag risksleeprepeat or get in touch via our website at praxis42.com. 